All right, guys, welcome back to the grind scheme of things. This is a special episode. I am talking about a particular organization in this podcast called Ownership is the Future. And it is headed up by Nicole Campbell, who recently um, hosted the first Ownership is the Future festival, a festival dedicated to helping young um, students to take ownership of their ideas and bring them to life. And the festival is focused on systemizing the whole process of business building and wealth creation among um, young people of color who are, you know, students at you know, high school students at this time who have ideas of how they can transform their communities and their own lives by building businesses that address problems, right? That they've either faced that they see is, um, you know, that, this, that they see that's being faced in the world. So it was a remarkable event. And I got a chance to be the keynote speaker at the end to um, bring everything home for the students in a palpable way for them to understand the value of their ideas and take ownership right, of, the idea, of their ideas. So in this episode, I get a chance to walk you through what I got a chance to hear and see and experience and also give you an opportunity to contribute um, to this event right? Um, current activities and future festivals. So that being said, I hope you enjoy this. I hope you um, appreciate the opportunity to learn about ownership is the future and find your way of taking ownership and contributing to this uh, great cause. And I will uh, talk to you guys soon at the back end of this for other ideas that I have as far as how we can support this uh, great organization with empowering young people to take responsibility and ownership of their futures. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Welcome back to the grind scheme of things today. I wanted to recap an event that I participated in as a keynote speaker in uh, this past week here in New York City. And specifically, it was in Brooklyn, New York. And the event was the first ever Ownership is the Future Festival. And, you know, every now and then when you participate in a program, um, even if it's the first time you're participating in it, sometimes you can kind of see how big the organization or the event can become. And this is one of those types of events. What I can imagine, just to kind of paint the picture, is this event will be one where there will be vendors and um, you know organizations that are looking to hire you know high school interns and you know you name it that sort of a, an event right and you'll have maybe you know guest performances or musical performances um, over the course of maybe it'll it'll be one day initially and maybe it'll grow to two days and before you know it it'll be a New York City thing so a very brilliant um, event here uh, called ownership is the future. And Ownership is the Future is a nonprofit organization formed to address achievement and wealth gaps. And um, that's right up my alley because I'm all about, inside of the 24-hour blueprint work that I've been talking about, it's about you know bridging the achievement and in some cases the wealth gap through a better understanding of execution. A lot of times in my observation, there is an idea to implementation to execution gap. 
um, because there's there's a bridge in between these things. And without really understanding and respecting the time continuum and the moving parts and the complexity of things, um, that execution just never happens. And so, you know, the achievement and wealth gaps can't happen without a, a an understanding of what it actually takes to not just pull the trigger, but to keep pulling the trigger and to keep moving forward, regardless of what shows up as obstacles or challenges or struggles. So that being said, I had the honor and the privilege of being able to participate in this event. As I mentioned, uh, the first festival, which was held this past Friday at the, let's make sure I, I get at the Brooklyn. I wanted to get the high school name um, correct. It was at the Brooklyn Community, hang on. Yep, the Brooklyn Community High School for Excellence and Equity. Okay, the Brooklyn Community High School for Excellence and Equity. And I had the um, the honor of being able to speak at the end and um, share a few words about a vision and a perspective of entrepreneurship that um, some people may not realize is really the soul and the essence of entrepreneurship, especially in communities of color. So let's talk about this in particular and and why this was so on my heart to participate in. So you've got, in this event, you had high school students, um, I'd say between the ages of maybe 13 and 16, if that's safe to say, who have been participating in sort of ongoing coursework to help them develop some ideas um, to build their you know, entrepreneurship projects. And these projects ranged from uh, one young, young lady who had the idea to have um, her spiritual expression be captured in an e-commerce platform. So for example, uh, her parents and her family members, they all grew up in the Christian tradition. And for her, she found that um, paganism was an expression for her. And specifically, being able to access, um, whether it's crystals or tarot cards or anything that was in that category of faith practice, she felt that, you know, it was either financially with, uh, out of reach. And in addition to that, um, she also felt that, um, you know, she was rejected and, and not necessarily well, her, her spiritual views weren't well received among her family members. Right. And there was just this misunderstanding of just other faiths in general. And so she, uh, created a, a program um, called uh, Spirit Wish, I believe is the name of it. And Spirit Wish is, you know, dedicated to providing not just the resources for practicing one's faith, but also providing, you know, literature and materials that help others who are not of that tradition to just have some understanding of what other traditions are about, right? So um, that was a great project. Another young man had a project for um, providing sort of on a sliding scale access to uniforms for people uh, who you know were in his community that um that wanted to play let's just say in his case he wanted to play basketball and you know in his junior high school years he wasn't able to continue playing because you know uh, paying for equipment paying for the gear whether it's a combination of shoes to jerseys to shorts um, all those things, you know, added up and just, he wasn't able to participate in his assessment due to financial limits, right. Or economic limits. And so he created, you know, an apparel brand that would, you know, provide an offer, um, you know, clothing 
in athletic wear for people to be able to afford, right? So I could go on and on about how each and every one of these projects really took inventory of, you could say, communal needs based on their cohorts, okay? So whether it was a young lady that I just described to you that you know, felt that there were perhaps other young people like herself who had different um, spiritual traditions to express and, you know, needed resources to be able to access what they needed, whether it's, you know, whether it's crystals, whether it's like I mentioned, tarot cards, whether it's oils, um, incense, I mean, you name it. These things were, you know, on her heart to be able to provide. Right? And then the young man that I just described to you, and I can go on, uh, and to describe these other projects. The things that was that was really touching for me um, to witness and to hear about is that, you know, each of these projects that were, you know, um, shared, they, they, they were just all just from the heart. They weren't, they weren't um, projects that the young people were presenting and saying, this is going to be my ticket to financial freedom. Right. And not that there's anything, uh, you know, wrong <laughs> with that view. Right. But the thing that came first was to help. It was to contribute. It was to give. It was to um, support people who were in the same sort of uh, life predicaments that they had faced. And I feel that, you know, entrepreneurship is at the heart of it. It should start there. And I think in the, let's just say, what would we call it? The Western world, let's just use that for a reference point. Um, you know, we think of entrepreneurship, yes, we want to help people, but, you know, a lot of conversations are how we're going to flip, <laughs> flip our business idea to make millions, <laughs> right? How we're going to just, you know, grow our fan base or grow our subscriber base or grow our user base to about, you know, 10,000 or 20,000 users or half a million users, sell it to the highest bidder and just, you know, walk away into our super yacht and buy an island and just, you know, chill. Okay. And in contrast to that, these young guys and young gals were all really focused on creating businesses that were very, very sort of sensitive to the grassroots origins of their lives. Okay. And I really, really love that. And um, and someone used this term, although it wasn't heavily used, I really think that these businesses really were in some ways social enterprises, right? And I think this, you know, pivots and moves in the direction of, you know, beyond just the traditional format of entrepreneurship, these are what I think um, should probably, you know, these types of projects that these young people were participating in or volunteering to share about, they really belong in the category of social, uh, what I would call social entrepreneurship, right? Or social enterprises. Uh, but I love to use the word soul and I would call them also social enterprises because they were just so from the heart uh, for them to share and, and to build from. And so the question becomes, you know, where are the incubators and the mentors who collaboratively participate in those incubators to help these social enterprises grow. Do they, do they exist? Are they available? Uh, are there resources, you know, dedicated to helping young people like this grow and thrive? And if they don't exist and, and you're hearing this message, then guess where 
it's going to come from, right? It's going to come from you, the listener, right? Which is why I'm sharing this because I really felt, you know, coming away from this event that um, it's always heartbreaking when young people participate in things that awaken them to awaken, uh, awaken them to just the, the potential and the possibilities of who they could become in the world. Um, but that aperture, that opening of, you know, reality starts to close as life goes back to normal, right? Because at some point this course will end, uh, the program that they're participating will end. And, you know, um, some people will have time maybe to continue the conversations with them. Some people won't. And, you know, their idea will be part of their a portfolio of a memory or memories of projects that they'd worked on that they, you know, would have definitely followed through on. But again, we're, we're, you know, going back to square one, it would, um, you know, it'd be sort of, you could say stifled by the lack of resources. Okay. And so in order to change that, in order to move in a different direction, when it comes to these types of projects, which I've seen plenty of over the years, um, I think there needs to be, you know, beyond the, um, traditional model of scraping to figure out how the funding is going to happen. I believe that there are many of us who are in the combination of professional world who know people and who know people who know people that can either leverage the, you know, wisdom and vision of some of these young people or have them just, you know, be observing participants of our lives and our work in action. And that could be in the form of, you know, a weekly Zoom call or a bi-weekly Zoom call or a monthly Zoom call uh, that checks in with them to see how their businesses are developing, even before the funding gets there. Because, you know, sometimes, no matter how much funding you throw at a bad idea, bad, if something's just not a good, <laughs> the research hasn't been done and, and the you know, product or service or program isn't good. I mean, the money's going to disappear anyway, right? So I think there's room to support events such as this one. And, and it lives in the listener, which is you um, following through, taking that next step to learn more about this particular project and other projects like it that might be in your area and finding out how you can contribute. And like I said, the first level of contribution is interest being interested enough to either have conversations with the program coordinators and finding out whether or not perhaps, you know, you can come in and, and do a talk to um, providing online, you know, resources or sharing some of your online resources, if you have any, in the case of a training or a program and giving complimentary um, access, right? Um, and that's just an idea, okay? There's all kinds of ways, but I would hate for this type of a project to just sort of dead end in the name of, you know, not enough funding. I think um, we, I'd like to think I'm at a place where I am no longer going to let not enough funding, quote unquote, be the reason why an idea doesn't go all the way through that has potential, right? So if you are, you know, of that mindset as well, definitely learn more about the Ownership is the Future Festival. Like I mentioned, this was the first year that they did this event. Um, um, presuming that ideally uh, there'll be another one. And like I mentioned, um, an event like this can really grow and, but it, it grows as a function of 
commitment and participation of, you know, kind of like PBS says, you know, for viewers like you, in this case, it'd be for listeners like you or viewers like you, if you're seeing a video version of this conversation. And I'll leave the, I'll leave the link below for you to learn more about this. Um, it is headed up by um, Nicole Campbell. And of course, there's a combination of teachers and facilitators that um, help these students be able to um, make the magic happen. So if you um, want to be a partner or a philanthropist, or you're an investor, or you're a community, mem community member that wants to be a part of this, you can head over to ownershipisthefuture.org. That is the website. Again, it's ownershipisthefuture.org. And there you can learn more about them. You can um, message Nicole Campbell, who is uh, the director of the program. And you can also make donations. Okay. And that's one of the ways that you can start helping and start supporting this particular mission. So I want to thank um, Nicole for having me as the keynote to close out the event. And of course, um, Adi Salau for um, letting me know about the opportunity to support these young people by sharing with them a message. And I want to close out similar to what I did in, uh, in my keynote for this event, which was sharing a story about um, my you know vision for entrepreneurship and, and what it means to me to be able to think of ownership um, is the future. Okay. And ownership for me, it really just begins with owning your idea and owning your capacity to execute. Um, if you're not aware, I am the creator of a product called the 24 hour blueprint and the 24 hour blueprint comes in sort of two for two forms it comes in a playbook and it comes in a planner. Okay. And there is an online academy that's available to teach and train and educate users of the playbook and the planner to just know and how to master the art of execution. Okay. Because ultimately, no matter what happens, you have to just really learn and understand how to execute no matter what is going on in the world around you or your environment. So all that to say, kind of what kicked off my uh, particular initiative was uh, an occurring, uh, an occurrence, an event, something that happened in my, my life, which was the um, death of my father. Prior to my father's passing, uh, he was the recipient of a heart transplant, actually two heart transplants and a kidney, uh, and a kidney transplant. And for him, we had the opportunity, oh, I, ha I had the opportunity to go with him um, after he'd been invited to participate in meeting the donor family. For those of you who are unfamiliar with um, transplants, and everything surrounding them. Uh, when you receive a heart transplant or an organ transplant, the donor family, in some cases, um, will not know who the recipient of the transplant is. And they, um, you know, they can reach out through the hospital or the institution and ask to meet the recipient family. And the recipient family has the option of declining, okay? And so in my case, or my dad's case, um, you know, he got notice that the donor family wanted a chance, wanted a chance to meet him. And so he agreed and decided that, you know, he would meet them. 
and I accompanied him, um, you know, given his condition to drive and uh, bring some of my siblings with me so we could meet this fam- um, meet this family and get a chance to, you know, just connect. And just as awkward as it might sound, um, there is nothing that really prepares you to meet the family whose uh, loss of life is giving you an opportunity to have life in, in on your side, right? In other words, you know, there's no blueprint that prepares you for meeting the family who, because their son or daughter or parent or mother or whoever has passed away, um, you know, you now have a brother or a sister or a cousin or a nephew or a father or a mother who is now, you know, alive because of what they lost, right? It's just a very strange transaction. So all that to say, we were able to be there. And um, and then in that embrace, as we entered the home, we drove from, you know, our home to theirs. Uh, and when we got there, I realized quickly that they were a non-English speaking uh, family, right? And, you know, they could, maybe the daughter might've understood. She may have been, could have been 12, uh, could have been 11, but it was her older sibling uh, that had passed away. The son of this family that had gone and lost his life. And they agreed to, of course, let his um, organs be harvested to pass along for someone that they um had never met and didn't know and and might not have even survived right because there's always a rejection uh, rate and possibility with organ transplants so all that to say you know my origin story in in the path of entrepreneurship really began with this examining this moment when the father met my father um you know there was a, an embrace and a connection that they had where you know, I just really wondered uh, what was going on um, for the father who'd lost his son and and what he was feeling, including, you know, what the, the mom might have been feeling and maybe even the daughter as well. And all I could think of was that in that embrace, in that moment, as they were connected in this hug, that, you know, the father, you know, was, you know, in a way sort of reliving and realizing that, uh, his son's life was still um, accessible to him, right? That this was a, con- a continuation of his son's life and journey, even though he was no longer alive in physical form in his own body, he was now, you know, sort of responsible, you could say, for keeping another person's life alive, right? And that there was some sort of identification and connection with my father, um, you know, for him to be able to see him alive as a result of his son's organs being transplanted, right? Uh, It was a very, very sort of life-altering experience for me, and I'm sure for my siblings and for my father, for sure. And so, you know, months or weeks and maybe even a year or so had gone by, when I just really re-examined that moment and reflected on that moment and then realized that, you know, there's got to be some answer to why a family would resolve and allow for their loved one's organs to be harvested and to go 
uh, into the life of someone that they didn't know that they may have never met that might not survive, of course. And the first book that I'd written about this was called Hero Manity, 24 Hours to a Heroic Life. And so I really believe that entrepreneurship is a, a selfless journey. Um, and I mentioned this during my, my talk that, you know, the coined term that I identified that would allow people to um, give of themselves in this way is kind of the something that makes us all amazing humans, which is we have this heroic reflex to make, you know, critical life-saving decisions when everything is on the line. And we're willing to make those decisions and make those sacrifices for something bigger than ourselves. Okay. But sometimes it takes crises for that part of us to show up, right? The same reflex that you would have if you were to grab the hand of a child who's about to run across the street, even though that child is not yours. Okay. Um, that, that kind of reflex. And that same reflex is the reflex that's grounded in the fact that, you know, if that was your daughter, you would want, you would want someone to keep them from running into the street as well. Right. So that taps into your humanity. So this heroic and humane part of us is what I referred to as hero manity. And I believe that we all have that element within us to do great things in the world. And so as you see in the young people who presented at this event, they, you could say, were tapping into their own humanity as they were looking at the world and looking at the, the pain and the suffering and the challenges that they'd faced, whether it was in the form of mental health or spiritual, you know, being ostracized spiritually um, or being um, economically, you know, sort of, you could say, um, displaced from their dreams and their goals. You know, they had this part of them that they, you know, chose to harvest, which was their ideas and their experience. And entrepreneurship is this sort of, I think at the deep level, is this, is this harvesting of our own desires and our own soul's uh, vision and trying to translate that into something quantifiable and tangible that other people can benefit from. And those other people who benefit from it are not always, um, you know, in some cases, they're not always grateful, <laughs> okay? Um, but they're not always, um, people. they're not people that we will meet sometimes in our lifetime. They're not people we will hear from. They're not people who will return and say thank you, right? Um, and, 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 it could be a generation or two generations later, right? Of people who are benefiting from whatever our idea was. And so, you know, here I am reporting, now that my father has passed away, I'm reporting on this tr transplant, right? That took place uh, over 14, over 14 years ago, might even be as far back as 20 something years ago. And I'm sharing this message with you. And so I'm a living example of the power of that kind of, you could say sacrifice, but also surrendering of, um, you know, surrendering of surrendering to life, you know, where these parents, they had to make a decision about whether or not they wanted their son's organs to be harvested to go to someone. And they agreed to that. And, you know, when we take on the path of entrepreneurship, Although there's the capitalistic drive that you got to definitely be profitable um, 
in order for you to be a business, it starts with, you know, trying to convert and harvest our ideas into something that will be valuable enough in the marketplace to be capitalized on, right? But it starts with this the heroic notion that no one, uh, we don't want anyone to suffer like we have or to go through the pains of the challenges of the struggles that we've gone through, especially if we felt that they were unnecessary, right? And in the process of, you know, taking those ideas and bringing them to life, um, you know, we, we're willing to go through that process because we just know people are going to benefit, right? And in some way we find joy, we find satisfaction in knowing that someone's life is going to be made easier because of what we've created to make their life easier. Okay. And I think that's what drives us, especially in the uh, community that these young people are coming from. So all that to say, um, you know, ownership of, you know, ownership and, and the future or ownership is the future. It really, perhaps in my assessment is really a matter of revisiting this idea of owning our experiences and owning our experiences in such a way that we own the ideas that come from these experiences and we own the process. And by ownership, I'm talking about responsibility first, taking responsibility for, uh, as these students have, taking ownership and responsibility for the fact that these are their ideas and that they are going to articulate these ideas in the form of sort of a let's say a business proposal or business pitch and have being courageous enough to have conversations with others, right? This is an auditorium filled with, I'd say at least uh, about a hundred students or more, right? That they had to present in front of. And so, you know, that level of courage takes ownership, right? Ownership of your idea and, um, and your vision. And so for you who are listening, if you resonate with this and this, you know, really speaks to you, you can take your version of ownership and saying, hey, listen, I own the idea that I want to contribute or support um, uh, these young people as they take ownership of their ideas by contributing to their missions and to their visions or to the program that will continue to support other young people, right? And you can do that, of course, by heading over to the website, as I mentioned, um, which is... Um, ownership is the future. Yep. Ownership is the future.org. And of course there you will find everything you need to know to understand um, their work and how they are continuing to empower young people to be extraordinary, um, entrepreneurs who can take ownership of their ideas and follow through on them. Okay. So thank you guys for listening and checking out this special um, the recap edition of the grind scheme of things. And hopefully, of course, you will head over to learn more about ownership is the future and contribute to that great cause. All right. Thank you guys so much. And I look forward to talking to you in upcoming episodes. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the grind scheme of things. I hope you learned some things. Hope you got inspired. Hope you were touched and moved and, you know, realize that part of ownership is the future is you as a member of the community or of listeners identifying a cause causes that you can take ownership of by contributing to whether it's your time, your attention or your talent 
all everything counts okay and so i'll leave the description or the links uh, below that uh, were referenced or mentioned uh, during this podcast for you to participate and learn more about them and also um, for those of you who are interested in learning more about the 25 blueprint academy as well as the resources that are available to help you take ownership of your future or your business activities by learning some extraordinary execution strategies you can also um, access that information below as well all right thanks a lot for listening and we look forward to uh, talking to you soon and seeing you on future episodes of the grind scheme of things talk to you soon